Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Today we're welcoming Carol Decker of Tapau onto the show, who of course had a string of top 40 hits, um, including China in Your Hand, which everyone will know, Heart and Soul and Valentine, and now they're back with new music. So they released a song last year and they've got a new track coming up on April 30th, which we'll talk about in a moment. But um, first of all, let's check in with Carol. So welcome to the show, Carol. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks, Alice. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're so welcome. And where are we speaking to you from today? I'm in Henley-on-Thames, very sunny Henley-on-Thames today in Oxfordshire. Very pretty place. Oh, lovely, lovely. And um, what has the last year been like for you? I think music aside, you know, I know you've been obviously working on some new tracks and new songs and the music video and everything, but have you found a new sort of rhythm to your life? A lot of people have said they've started doing all sorts of new hobbies and getting into this and that. Like, What's it been like for you? Oh, I've absolutely hated it. And all I've done is drink wine and scream at the radio for (laughs) a year. My personal stance is I disapprove of lockdown and I disapprove of masks. And I've been very open about that. I I think it's a blunt instrument to handle something which has very, very sadly affected a particular small percentage of the population. Mm. And so I've deeply resented the loss of our personal freedoms and don't agree with the way it's been handled. And I do believe that, you know, when governments take emergency powers that they say are going to be temporary, they never are. We have emergency measures that were put in place 80 years ago for the for one of the wars, you know, and they're still in place. Mm. So that's me. So no, I haven't uh, learned a new language or learned to ride a unicycle or anything. I've just been furious and drunk for 12 months (laughs) you and many many others so you must be glad at least that there's this um you know light at the end of the tunnel type thing with um you know live events hopefully happening again at some point you know we're allowed in oh crazy groups of six aren't we in a garden so you know know, know. well no that, that is something I don't want to be grateful for something that's ours anyway I, I am a bit mm. curmudgeonly about it I, I, I readily admit but of course it's nice to see it moving in the right direction and yes you know I've, I've um, since uh, good old Boris announced you know heading towards June with uh, gradual uneasing then my my inbox has been busy with rescheduled gigs and stuff which is great and my husband is in um, hospitality, so we've been double fucked by lockdown in oh, our oh house. God, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but my husband is an amazingly um, industrious, um, uh, a positive person. He's been growing chilies. He, you know, he plays the guitar. He makes. He mends. He, he's a really creative, industrious person. And if he won the lottery tomorrow, he'd be perfectly happy just doing all the things he's always wanted to do. So I think he's quite enjoyed some of it, but not not the luck, not the the lack of income. He hasn't enjoyed that, but he certainly used his time far more productively than I have. Oh, okay, I'm sorry to hear that it's affected him as well. Of course, it's affected so many people, but particularly hospitality yes. and live events, yeah. hasn't it? So, um, yeah, I'm glad to hear things are sort of starting to Thank ease you, up yeah. a little yeah. bit, and I hope things are, you know, obviously a bit better yeah. for you. But it sounds yeah, he's like he's been enjoying it a small amount, maybe the being at home part. Yeah, well, he's had a sort of what can you do, you mm. know, so let's get on with something, which, of course, is the right attitude to take. I'm not saying that mine is the right attitude. I'm just saying that was my attitude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? Yeah. Furiously drunk. I love that. 
yeah, just furious drunk for a year. <laughs> well, it's going to be yeah. quite the hangover, but I'm glad you're coming out of it and we're all coming out of it together. Um, yeah, I've never drunk so much wine in my life as I have over the last year, to be honest, Carol. Just been nothing else here now, isn't there? Not in the day. The, no need to be concerned. And the irony is, they close the bloody pubs or they won't let us, you know, get together inside or something without a hazmat suit. So what do we all do? We toddle off to Waitrose and Tesco. Or I've been ordering online from, um, you know, uh, big companies and just drinking myself into the floor watching Netflix. So, um, you know, we've said here we want the pubs to open so we can cut back on our drinking. (laughs) (laughs) It's the British way. It's all we've got, isn't it, in the winter? I know. We have a terrible relationship with alcohol. Most Brits do. I don't know. Absolutely agreed. Um, What have you been watching on Netflix or TV then to keep you entertained? Are you watching Line of Duty? I haven't watched this last series because uh, everyone was saying it was rubbish. So, sorry, sorry, actors in Line of Duty. I'm sure you're wonderful. I, I've enjoyed a couple of the series. I've watched things like um, what I've enjoyed. Uh, I did enjoy The Crown. Um, oh, yes. Uh, Your Honour. With, oh, yeah, uh, that Bob was really Jackson. good. Absolutely fantastic. The flight attendant oh that's amazing yes i'm watching that now actually i think we're just watching exactly the same things i'm nearly at the end of that yeah so no i won't do any spoilers for you and then i've kind of revisited um my favorite what i call cozy blanket tvs because i have been feeling very up and down emotionally i've i've needed comfort so i've gone to things like um ghostbusters groundhog day um trading places mm-hmm. uh, curb your enthusiasm Frasier. you know um of a morning um I, we've got a little gym in our garage nothing fancy but you can burn the blubber blubber off and make room for more wine in the <laughs> evening that's what i do pain and reward we call it yeah. um and i've got a little telly in the garage and on channel four in the mornings there's like um it'll be mike and molly or everybody loves raymond or King of Queens. Frasier, yeah. Frasier. And I love all of those American um, sitcoms mostly. I just think they're really well written and very well acted, you know, so I really enjoy those. And it really cheers me up. Mm-hmm. So I've liked that. And the other thing I've watched, which I never watched when it was sort of new to TV because it wasn't my kind of thing. I thought it was a bit naff. Is <laughs> Midsummer Murders. <laughs> and I'm really into them now. But it's a bit like Morse. If that many people died in a small village in the Chilterns, you'd, you'd run for the hills, wouldn't you? It's a wonder <laughs> there's anyone left. There'd be it's some quite... serious outside intervention, wouldn't there? Something very yeah. suspicious going on there. Some of the episodes are set in villages and three people die in 48 hours. It's like, you know, you just barricade yourself in your house, wouldn't you? <laughs> so I watched those kind of um, uh, cynically with my tongue in my cheek, but they are fun. I quite enjoy them. Yeah, but you've, d- you've enjoyed them non-ironically by the sound of it. And that's fine. That's yeah, fine. ironically, not cynically. That's, that's what I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I knew what you yeah. meant. And um, just reflecting on, I'd love to just touch on, uh, you know, some of your stuff with the band, obviously. So before this as well, before you found success in the band, was that what you always wanted to do? Were you determined to make it in the music industry? How did you come to form as a band? Well, I was determined from the day I made the decision, but I didn't make the decision until I was 22. So um, I could always sing. And as a child and people would always, you know, I was always in the choir and stuff like that. And I could always harmonise really easily and and relatives, aunts and, you know, stuff like that. And teachers would just sort of comment that I had 
you know, a good voice and great tuning and everything. But it wasn't anything I thought of as a career. And I, I went to a kind of really straightforward girls' grammar school uh, in Shropshire, which was um, quite academic. And things like singing and music and stuff were more kind of a, an art, more like accomplishments, you know, hobbies sort mm. of thing. Our school was very math, science, um, uh, the, the classic um, uh, subjects orientated. Um, so I was like a fish out of water because I think I had a lucky day the day I passed my 11 plus because I floundered ever <laughs> after in that school. And so um, got my O-levels, stayed on to do my A-levels and made a complete mess of them. And so the, the plan I had, which was to go to college in Wolverhampton to start a journalism course, I didn't get in because I didn't have the grades. So I just started bumming around in dead end jobs, you know, bar work. Um, boutiques I worked in a a toy factory in Bridge North uh, making putting the cambers on boomerangs which probably just turned them into sticks I don't suppose I ever made one that came back <laughs> and uh, I worked in a butcher's um, I went over to Holland and I au pair for a while and worked in a bar out there and I was really really drifting and I didn't know where I fitted in and I used to have huge waves of sort of loneliness and depression thinking well where do I belong you know so um I can't remember what it was called at the time because all the names for the job support schemes and the dole and stuff as we used to call it they've all changed but it was some kind of um I was on the dole and it was some kind of like youth opportunity thing and so I got taken on by um the Ironbridge Gorge Museum and we me and another friend of mine were in the art team so we worked on making you want to go to a museum and there's like a, a miniature castle or you know mm. a, a diorama or something like that we were on the team that made all those sort of miniatures and I got the grunt work I just had to make little bricks and stuff they didn't trust me with anything more intense and then as that was coming to an end because it was like a, a year's placement um, my friend said I really like this I think I'm going to go and try and go to art school and I just followed her because I didn't know what else to do because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do with myself. I really couldn't find a place. Um, so I went to art school and when I was at doing foundation in art school in Shrewsbury at the Wakeman, you, I met all these wonderful, crazy people all doing art. And they were, they were also musicians and poets and photographers and, and they, they dressed strangely. And we all had their Mohica, you know, picture this end of the seventies, early eighties, you know, all the crazy clothing that was going on. And I suddenly felt at home with all these people. Mm. And they, a lot of my friends were 18. They'd come straight from school and I was 22. So I was four years older than a lot of them. But, um, so uh, a bit like an episode of Fame, I was singing along to the radio one day in class when we were all doing fine art, and someone said in, in a sort of jokey, sarcastic way, why don't you join a band and stop an annoying us all by constantly harmonising over all the songs? Because I would do that. <laughs> I could harmonise with anything, and that would really irritate people who wanted to listen to the song, mm. and I was putting a third in across the top of whatever it was. So said, so going to a party at the weekend, come with me. My mate, Julian, is looking for a singer introduced me to Julian um and uh he said come and audition so I did and um in a garage in Ludlow and I got the job in a band and we were, we called ourselves the lasers spelt with a z l-a-z-e-r-s and we did 
wrote our own stuff and did covers as well because as a as an unknown band in you know people just they don't want to hear loads of obscure things they want to hear something they can dance to something they know so we sort of did a blend of stuff and then um ronnie rogers who is my ex-boyfriend mm-hmm. was in another local band called the cats k-a-t-z a lot of z's a lot of z's around yep. in the early 80s yeah crazy z's <laughs> crazy z's and um and we pil- pilfered him from that band to join ours and then he and i were an i became an item as well at the same time and then we started writing for the lasers and then we left and we scratched some money off my dad and bought home recording equipment and decided not to be in a band but to dedicate ourselves to um, writing and recording and sending our demo tapes away. And we got a small publishing deal with MCA Publishing, which kept us going. It was like five grand, which is a fortune back, back then. And we've got lots, long story short, hopefully not too boring. Um, we got sort of close but no cigar with quite a few labels. Right. Okay. And because we're in Shrewsbury, and these are the days, this is so before the internet, as you can imagine, you had to physically be in the big cities no one was going to come to Shrewsbury. Um, some of the big record companies had what they call regional scout offices. So they, they might have a small office in Birmingham or Wolverhampton um, or Glasgow, or you know what I mean? But mainly you still had to get your ass down to London. So we were doing that all the time, setting up meetings, auditioning, nearly getting there, not getting there. Then finally we, our tape, we, we finally get some management, some decent London management. Sorry, let me get this right. It's a long time ago, even I'm forgetting the sequence. <laughs> And that decent London management finally got us in front of a label called Siren, who were owned by Virgin. Mm-hmm. And um, we showcased for them in a big studio in Shepherd's Bush. And they said, right there, they said, you, you have a record deal. Let's do this. And so by that time, it was 1986. So I'd been slogging away at it since about 81 in different bands and, you know, with Ron. And occasionally doing backing vocals for other people, I'd get a gig, you know, through the want ads and a melody maker, and I'd, I'd do a quick little tour with somebody. Um, so finally, we get our opportunity, um, but it was a long, long time coming. And in 1986, I was 29 years old, so I was 30 when China in Your Hand was at number one. Wow. So yeah, I was a slow starter, a slow burn, and it was very our success was very hard one. Yeah, and now you've put it like that, I can see you really, really worked and grafted, didn't you? I didn't know you, like you said, you were 30 when yeah. your third single came out. Obviously, that was the huge, huge one that really did things for the band. It was five weeks at the top, wasn't it? So um, did you have any idea it was going to be such a big hit when you, let's say, when you wrote it or first listened back to it? No, well, the story of China on Your Hand, it didn't get us our record deal. It wasn't written. The songs that got us our deal were Valentine, oh, okay. Heart and Soul, and I Will Be With You. So we uh, were, were out um, in America. We were just outside of Chicago doing the first album with Roy Thomas Baker, and one track just wasn't working. And we, I can't remember which one it was, but we're basically, as it's called, polishing a turd for a while. And finally, it was decided to give up, give up on it. But we were a track down. Mm. So Roy said, "What other songs have you got?" You know. And Ronnie and I had begun to write China. Um, he'd done the kind of basic piano outline and I had the story I wanted to tell the story I'd seen a documentary on Mary Shelley writing the book of Frankenstein so it was a it wasn't about Frankenstein it's about her writing the book of Frankenstein what mm. the success of that book did to her inner circle of friends um what the creation of Frankenstein 
the monster did for Dr. Frankenstein. So it was a it caused a lot of trouble. The book caused trouble. The monster caused trouble. Um, so it was um, a parable of be careful what you wish for and a story within a story. So it's kind of complicated. Um, and so I gave Roy the the cassette, as it was in those days. And I got this, you know, kind of it was in my bag or my pocket, literally, you know. And uh, he played it and he said, that is a great song. And so he took it from that piano vocal version and I hadn't even finished all the lyrics. I had to finish them in the studio. And um, and a star was born, as they say. And Roy took, you know, because obviously Roy, um, for those of you who don't know, amongst his many, many great hits was, was Bohemian Rhapsody and so many hits for Queen. So he has this high drama in the things that he does. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he turned China in Your Hand into that huge piece. But what I love about China is you can do it vocals, acoustic guitar, vocals, piano. Or you can do it, and I have done it with the London Philharmonic. It's that kind of song, you know. It, it's um, it's a classic mm. song, so it, it stretches across um, the most simple um, rendition to the most dramatic. Yeah, I was going to ask, what do you think it is about this song in particular? I mean, is this the one that when you perform live, you know, as and when that can happen again? Of course, is that <laughs> the one that audiences really respond to the most? Yeah, because it's the most well-known, obviously. Uh, they love Heart and Soul as well, you know, and Valentine. Um, but, uh, Heart and Soul is my personal favourite. I love that one. Um, but with China, I guess, um, it's the melody. And, and everybody loves going, flew too far away. They love all that howling the long notes at me, you know, <laughs> with yes. a bottle of beer in their hand sort of thing. Um, so I think it's a, jo- it's a, it's a good joiner in her, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know? So I think people like that. They like a sing-along and it resonates with them. And I think the story, the story, I think the lyrics resonate with people. Who knows, you know, to, to, to coin that phrase that has been um, so overused since the, the TV series came along, it's the X factor. You never know. It's an ingredient, isn't it? It's an ingredient in a book, a movie, a song, an actor, a, a personality. And if you could um, copy it, then you could have a hit every time, couldn't you? Yeah, but it's just a certain something. It's it's timing. It's the backdrop of when the song arrives. You know, it's all sorts of fairy dust that's sprinkled across it that just creates almost this perfect storm where it just works. Yeah, absolutely. Right place, right time. And, you know, like yeah. I said, if everyone yeah. knew the magic formula, everyone would do it, and every song would be a yeah. massive hit. But yeah. it's just these ones <laughs> that are few and far between, isn't it? So, um, and there's been speaking of the track, obviously, there's been this real. 80s resurgence in pop culture and music in the last few years um you know in Stranger Things I don't know if you watched Black Mirror or you know just modern music on the radio. oh did you did you like the um what I'm thinking of the the San Junipero episode they um, had Heart and Soul in that did they yeah oh I actually yeah. didn't know that no way <laughs> and Heart and Soul's been in a couple actually of Black Mirror um because, um, yeah, me and Charlie Brooker follow each other on Twitter and I was, you know, he, uh, I just said, oh, thanks, you give me a bit of cool. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I had no idea that was in there. Well, it's a perfect fit then. Yeah, well, it's funny you say the last couple of years. I did my first 80s reunion tour in 2001. Oh, okay, yeah, maybe not a couple of years then. To me, that's five yeah, years ago, yeah. but of course that's not true. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, obviously people, you know, flags up on your radar when it flags up. Um, so... 2001, I get a call. Would you want to go on tour? It was uh, Paul Young, Kim Wilde, Go West, China Crisis and me. And we did all the arenas. 
So, you know, Wembley, NEC, SEC, and uh, pretty much sold them out. It was amazing. And I haven't stopped since, just constantly working. Um, so that's lost, lasted longer than the 80s lasted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't know, yeah, it's it's um the gift that the eighties is the gift that keeps on giving. It really is. <laughs> yeah, I've talked to a few artists obviously since doing this um doing this podcast series with Headliner and um we, we were talking about it and some of them are making, you know, music now, but they purposely make it sound 80s even though they're I don't know they possibly were born in the 80s but obviously didn't remember it and it's yeah. we, we sort of agreed that maybe it's this feeling of not sure why like comfort I'm not sure if it's you know 80s reruns that are on TV since you've been alive and you feel like maybe that's what it was like in the 80s of what it sounds like or something that's the idea we sort of landed on this kind of comfort where there was tactile technology and you know it seems novel now I suppose doesn't it to look back at that time yeah, well, don't forget, you know, every leap was massive. So um, even with the birth of MTV was huge, mm. huge. You know, you could be um, you could be having a hit around the world if MTV put your video on heavy rotation. You didn't have to be there. You didn't have to be in that country, you know, so that was really good. And then, you know, you had some failed technology like the DeLorean car, obviously. But, you know, computers, the first massive brick mobile phones, everything was a huge leap. Whereas now things happen, God, every day, don't they? So somebody mm. said to you, oh, I've got this app. You can actually look, look at what's going on on the moon all day if you want. You go, oh, yeah, great. And you look at it for five <laughs> minutes and you go back onto TikTok. Yeah. Back then, everything was fucking huge, you know. And personally, you know, every decade has its good and its bad side. And I know that there was depressions and recessions and economic struggle. And here in the UK, you know, Maggie was at war with the unions and the minor strikes and everything. But for my side of it, as a young person then, I was, you know, because I, I, I was young, I was, having, I was having a great time, like you do, you know, I was just going to discos and drinking with my friends. Um, it was a, also a time of optimism, which is if you if you want it and you work hard enough for it, you can do it, Is was the basic sort of tenet Mm. for the 80s even to the point where you know as Gordon Gecko said in Wall Street lunch is for wimps you had to work hard you had to focus you had to be on it like a bonnet but it didn't matter who you were or where you came from with that kind of energy you could do it mm. and then um everybody was really different I'm talking uh, sort of the music business now so if you think of the different looks of Cindy Lauper uh, Madonna you two the Cure, uh, Boy George, Heaven 17, Kim Wilde, even to Pow, you know, we're all unique and different from each other. Mm-hmm. And I think these days you see a lot of artists with the same design address, the same extensions, the same makeup, the same 3D brow. The set. It, it seems more uniform to me. Mm. You know, I think everybody was running their own flag up their own flagpole back then if that makes any sense so there was diversity and the pop songs are just great just great songs mm. you know, and so. they endure don't they these songs whereas now perhaps some that are on the radio they're quite forgettable really aren't they yeah and you know great movies like like breakfast club saint emma's fire um trading places ghostbusters wall street Full Metal Jacket, all these amazing films about many different, just 
there's something special about them. I, I, you know, but then I could be talking like an old fart, you know, who just looks back on the past. But as you were saying, a lot of young people are really, really enjoying the 80s now, aren't they? Mm, yeah, absolutely. No, I don't think you sound like you're out of touch or anything. I think you're right. That, that is exactly the kind of films that probably like, I don't know, people like to put on on a Sunday if they're maybe hung over. They'll put on, um, was it Big with Tom Hanks or E.T. or something, oh, you know. Big is fantastic. And also um, The Money Pit. That's one of my favourite Tom Hanks films. Oh, I don't know if I've seen that one, actually. How's that passed Oh, by? you've got to watch it. It's him and Shelley Long. You've got to watch it. I'm sure it's, it's probably on for about two quid to rent, you know, somewhere. Yeah. But watch <laughs> The Money Pit. I just love it. Okay. Tom Hanks yeah, can do no I wrong. Guess I guess now with all the high tech, um, uh, oh, oh, and I know we're talking late seventies more than eighties, but the original Star Wars and the original Alien, I oh, can yes. still, I, I still can't watch the original Alien without cushion in front of me. The tension mm. is just epic, and now we've got um, such fantastic um, special effects and even that deep fake stuff, which is really fucking spooky. Oh, and why is it always Tom Cruise as well? I know it's I, yeah. Just to make but, it um, weirder. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, even Tom Cruise, he made some great film. You know, Top Gun. Yeah, fantastic, just fantastic. There's an there's a naivety to those films, an obviousness to the plot, but there's something compelling about them, and they they still beat some films that have got the biggest budget now with the greatest special effects that they just don't grab you in the same way. Some of them, not all of them, you know. Mm, now I know what you mean it's like they captured some kind of magic that was there at the time and now studios do seem to be trying to replicate it by just churning out endless remakes um trying to capture well, that again and they don't work they don't work so it's like the relationship between the characters I have never cared about any of the other Star Wars characters the way I cared about Leia Luke and Han yeah you know just I don't care and um, Eddie Murphy and uh, Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places and, and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, you just care about the relationships. And that's pivotal to a good film, isn't it? Mm, yes. You've got to care about the characters and what happens. You've got to see it through what happens to those characters. And so many films now, I end up just halfway through thinking, I really don't give a shit what's going to happen to you. <laughs> no, I know so, what you mean. I can't think of what it was, but I was watching something recently that was whatever it was, it was meant to be a big, it was a big film or a big deal. And I remember just saying, I just don't care. I don't know if they want us to care about any of these characters. It might have been one of the new Jurassic Park stupid ones, you know, or just something like that. And I just thought, I don't think they yeah. want us to care. They're just... I'll always go with a Jurassic. I, I, I do. I, I'll, I'll, you know, give me... But 90s Sunday. ones, 90s ones. Yeah, we finished lunch, we've got a bottle of wine and I just want to watch dinosaurs chasing people around. <laughs> I just, again, it's, it's, there's something epic, I think, you know, about those. I do, I do enjoy those films, I have to say. Oh, okay. Well, I love um, the original, obviously, and even the second one. Don't remember the third one. Probably there's a reason for that. But, um, yeah, love Jurassic but Park. <laughs> the witty touch is like in the original, you know, when the T-Rex is chasing them and she mm. looks in her wing and it says, objects may be closer than they appear. That's right, yes. <laughs> we can all relate to that. Quick. <laughs> that is so witty and when it swallows the mobile phone and you can hear it ringing in its pile of dunk <laughs> yes. you know it's just hilarious really really witty touches yeah and there's that jeff goldblum sort of shot that's but be just become really famous of him sort of his chest his bare chest heaving up and down i think women are still swooning over it now all these years he, later 
He was a doll, wasn't he? A beautiful olive skin. Oh, yes. Chin. You know yeah. what? There's something about him still now. He's just very charismatic, isn't he? He's very and Jeff Goldblum, yeah. really. The joy of finding out if he really is circumcised, that kind of thing. <laughs> of course, I didn't know about that. <laughs> the thing that went through my head. The joy of finding out. <laughs> Okay, moving on from poor Jeff. Sorry, Jeff. Um, yeah. I know you've spoken um, quite openly before about, you know, being frustrated about lack of airplay for more for newer material. You know, the 80s stations, they play 80s stuff, obviously. Mainstream stations play the newer stuff. So where does everyone else fit in between that? Have you found that? And how are you getting your music out there these days? Um, it's really difficult and uh, obviously grateful to the 80s station and still loving the, the classic hits um but it is hard to get any airplay any traction on new stuff so we just do the best that we can um generating our own interviews like you and i are chatting now and then we use our social media and we do we do the best that we can but our reach isn't as big as it used to be obviously um so it tends to be you know we let our fan base know and then hopefully you know keeping um the sort of Facebook and everything going to let people know when we're out on the road so that they, they want to come and hear the new stuff and often we'll burn CDs so that our fans like to, to buy a CD at the end of the night and I'll sign that and they've got, um you know, an album, a signed album that I've done for them in front of them kind of thing. So it's almost back to old school. You know, we set our, set our um, trestle table up at the end of the night I've got my market stall roll up roll up by an album you know but it's hard and and I'm sure you've heard as many uh, listeners will that Spotify are absolutely fleecing artists yes you know as we speak today yesterday Paul Weller issued a statement where he'd had I think three million streams of his new album and earned 10 grand and um, Gary Newman did an interview recently to say he'd had a million streams of cars and earned 30 quid. Wow. So, you know, and don't get your tiny violins out. I know you're all thinking we're all minted pop stars and we all made loads of money back in the day, blah, blah, blah. But that's not the point, is it? Mm. The streaming companies are making an absolute fortune. Our old record labels are making an absolute fortune. And we, the artists, the creators of this, without which none of them would have a job. Yeah. are getting absolutely shafted so much so that you know there's been um if i'm using the right word reviews commissions going to to parliament that has you know to to, to try and get help from the government because we're being stuffed so it's hard it's hard to earn any money if you put it up on the platforms you earn a pittance so if you think paul well is not earning any money can you imagine how much money i'm not earning mm. So you have to then go out on the road constantly to play the stuff to people and then make your money um, through ticket sales and hope that when you play the new songs on the stage, they like them and, and they get into them. But it's it's completely flipped from when I was young. You used to um, tour. No, am I going to get this the right way around? <laughs> you put out an album to promote your tour. That's okay it. so you put out your album and then you go on the road it's the other way around now you have to go on the road to promote your record so mm. your record's almost like a, a loss leader for the money that you make from concerts okay yeah that so makes it's sense. Very, very very difficult as i can't um you know I, I can't really kind of um make it sound any shinier 
and it, and it can be frustrating, especially when you've got a great track that you'd love everyone to hear. It, it, it can be very, very frustrating, but I, I'm not really qualified to do anything else. So I've just got to keep doing it, really. Yeah, and, well, fingers crossed for whenever live events get back on and you'll just be back on track again. But I, I, I hear you. It's almost as if people can only make money now if they did when people used to actually buy music and perhaps they're still doing okay from that. But what about the people in between or people that have only started to release music only since Spotify has been a thing? You've got to make it yeah, really young, big to make anything. Young emergent artists are really struggling it's because the whole landscape has changed. And, and I, you know, I read the trade mags all the time. It's like the top 2% make money. You're talking Madonna, Coldplay, Tay-Tay, you know, all those massive artists. But there used to be a place for the rest of us to, to also make a living and have our own level of success. And it's it's been taken away. And I don't know what we can do about it. You know, that, that expression, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. You mm. cannot turn back time. You can't make it the way it used to be. You just can't. And that applies to anything. Life just moves forward, doesn't it? Everything marches forward and it all changes. And I don't see how it, it, it can't go backwards. So something's got to be done to help to help us. Mm, well hopefully like you say people like Paul Weller people that are very open about it can flag this up and well get the attention of whoever it may be um the government the streaming giants um and hopefully they'll they'll take a look at this again because like you said a lot of people are noticing that these Spotify and everything making huge huge amounts but none for the artists no and they pay a pittance and their their argument is um, well, iTunes don't pay anything. At least we pay you something. It's like, oh, thanks for the tenor. Mm. You know, it's like, anyway, I, I don't want to get too heavy about it. No, no. You know, the joy of music, but um, it's a hard world out there now. It really, really is. And so I am grateful to have had my big hits back in the days where you did make a little bit of money. Yeah. And obviously now let's um, let's move on to your new music. So you released Be Wonderful, so that was during the lockdown last year. Do you want to get your way when everyone says that it's not okay? But this is how you make your life ideal. And if you never take a chance or risk everything on a bad romance, you will And I saw yeah. that your kids shot and directed the video, which looks like a lot of fun. You know, you're very embracing the uh, lockdown life, surrounded by a lot of snacks, a lot of snacks, actually, and a lot of animals, yeah. actually. So where did you come up with the idea for this video? Well, uh, Ronnie and I had a couple of, two or three songs uh, written and recorded just before lockdown 2020. So uh, Be Wonderful and Guess Who's Sorry Now, which we're going to talk about in a second. And we've got another one called Stupid Love Song that we can now get to finish. Um, and we, um, so we had those two done. We had all the vocals done. And so Ron called me and he said, look, let's put it out. Let's just put it out. You know, no one can, this is during heavy lockdown. He said, 
nobody, even the biggest artists in the world, are not allowed to leave their houses and, and make a video at the moment. So let's just do a lockdown video. And um, my kids, who are now 22 and 18, they had done a creative media BTEC. So they they knew how to do all the camera work, storyboarded, editing. Um, they got all the software, all, all the rest of it. So he said, put those kids to work, you know. <laughs> so um, I gave them the song and I said, have a listen. To, you know, listen to the lyrics and you tell me how you want to interpret it. And they just found it because it's about being yourself, you know, be wonderful. And um, we've got a menagerie of chickens and ducks and a crazy dog. And and even though they are, we did that last year, so Scarlett was 21 and Dylan was 17. They've still got a lot of their toys still. <laughs> Scarlett has had a bit of a sort out. <laughs> I can't get Dylan to part with his Nerf guns yet. So I was wondering have... the age of your children from that. And I was thinking, well, they're, fi- they're old enough to film this, but there's a lot of toys here. But maybe they're very yeah, advanced. <laughs> them out. They're a bit sentimental. Um, and um, I'm sure a lot of families are like that. You, your kids get into their teens and you suddenly realise there's that big um, toy dump in the corner that they don't actually go near anymore, but no one's cleared it out. Mm. you know it was kind of that thing so we decided you know and Scarlett came up with the idea of the mutant ninja turtles <laughs> me having a crush on Leonardo yes. <laughs> and so we just used what the props that we had and just had a um fun with it and Scarlett used to collect loads of dragons and stuff um when she was little so we had that um for the scene where the lyrics go um sleeping with the tv on keeping your monsters on the run because um I did that a lot um I sleep with I put the TV on a timer or the radio on a timer to fall asleep too because I'm not very good with silence and then I can't stop my, if I've got anything on my mind, I can't stop the inner dialogue. Mm. So you've got to keep your monsters on the run. You know, so we had all the the, um, the, the dragons on the on the pillow behind me. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, so that was the kids' sort of their interpretation of the lyrics really. Um, we went with, you know, quite a lot of it, which is, which I thought was sweet. It was just sweet, you know, and I'm in a onesie, just let myself go, you know, surrounded by junk food, drinking wine, watching the telly. Furiously drinking wine, sorry. (laughs) 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 So what about the song? How, when did you write this? Um, How did the inspiration come for you for this one? Um, I think Ronnie had the start of it. We were up, he lives in Wales and we were up in the studio, got a couple of the guys together and we were having, um, we just get together and say, anybody fancy a writing session? People usually have the bones of an idea. And Ronnie just had this, um, the start of, what he and I tend to do is we sometimes just make noises where the words should be. So he he got this, be be blah, be blah, 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 be wonderful. You know, so he just had the, you just had a and so we built it from there. So be good, be bad, be happy, be sad, be, you know, be all the things, all the contradictions within a human being that we all have. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as it's nothing too, you know, like you're a mass murderer, which wouldn't be good. Most of how you are is okay. So just be <laughs> yeah. yourself, be wonderful. And that's how we built it, you know. Yes. Obviously, you know, Hitler and and mengler and people like that that doesn't apply to them don't don't be yourself <laughs> no no very much frowned upon yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Go to that saying yeah, yeah don't be yourself yeah 
yeah. okay and your new single as you said so that's coming out so that's april 30th so that's guess who's sorry now also written yeah. with ronnie wasn't it so i've had a little listen to it this morning i think your fans are gonna love this it's that classic tip sound but with modern fresh production so tell me a bit about this one how this one came together was that ronnie again that kind of came okay. up with the blah 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 i i have i have great insecurities about my songwriting um because i don't do enough of it especially for the last year um and i always suffer with imposter syndrome but this is a testament to the fact that i'm actually i think quite good at what i do mm. this is the third set of lyrics and melody over this chord progression ronnie came up with an idea that just didn't work and i just said i'm, I'm sorry i just think that's really i love the chords love the chords and the love you can tell as well the steps when you go into from the verse into the bridge that steps up into the chorus when it's like um a lift it's a lift up into the chorus so here, here we are please don't bore us get to the chorus and you feel that lift and you know you're at the chorus so musically it was working for me but the idea he had for the story just wasn't so I, I then wrote another load of lyrics and melody and he didn't like that so finally um went back up to Wales and we thrashed out a few more ideas for the music and I came up with this melody um, and lyrics and it took me months to persuade him that it was good because he's got a thing about generic lyrics so he says I write best when I write very personally and specifically um, about somebody you know something that's happened to me or something I've, I've observed or watched or heard but occasionally a pop song is, as we say, Moon June Spoon. You know, it's pretty and it rhymes. Mm -hmm. And so I just came up with the idea of um, taking someone for granted um, and then you don't know what you've got till it's gone. You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's got some lyrics in it like, you know, um, I'm waiting for the phone to ring, uh, you know, I'm just answering. And he's like, oh, I hate just songs with like just phone in it or radio in it. And I'm like, well... Blondie did all right with hanging on the telephone, Ronnie. You know, should we just, like, give it a go? <laughs> so he's got this thing in his head about Moon Gin Spoon, radio, telephone, you know, feed the world, generic crap. But he really fights against it. But I believed in this song, and I think it's super catchy. And I think everyone can relate to it. You know, we've all had um, – it doesn't even have to be a relationship – it can be just a situation, a job, anything. Um, you know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone and then you try and get it back and you can't. I can't stop thinking about you. I can't hold out that phone has got me. I'm answering just to hear your voice again. With full control, I changed it. Was there something specific that you had in mind with this? That, as you said, Ronnie said, you're good at writing about things um, from personal experience or specific scenarios. 
Um, I don't think I'd relate this one back to me so much as I certainly have taken people for granted. Well, even if it's like um, you go through a phase of taking each other for granted in your relationship, don't you? Or taking your mum and dad for mm. granted or something like that. So, of course, I've done that. And I'm sure I've had it done to me. But it was more of a sort of universal um, story where, you know, there's been movies done about it and, and books written about sort of. Uh, you know, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, like Rhett said to Scarlett, because she took him for granted, didn't she, throughout mm-hmm. the whole of Gone with the Winds. And then finally, when she said, what will I do? Where will I go? And he said, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. So it's that sort of thing. You know, you fucked it up, mm-hmm. basically. But it's a universal message. And I think it works. You know, it doesn't always have to be your diary, does it? No, absolutely. And um, speaking of live music, like we were earlier, so I think you're due to perform at 80s in the Park, which is set for June. So is that still on? What's what's going on with that at the moment? According to my emails, yes, it's on. Okay. So. Mm, good, good. Um, are there any other gigs you've got penciled in or that you're hoping well, will go um, ahead? People, yeah, quite a lot. But the best thing, because they're all over the place and, and across the, the year. So if... I don't know if you can link it for me, um, but if, if people go to our Facebook, which is um, to power forward slash Carol Decker, or our website, which is um, all the W's, and then this is all lowercase and no apostrophe into power, so it's just T-P-A-U, to power.co.uk, then you'll find all the gig listings and you can see if, if we're in your area and you want to come along, that'd be great. Okay, fantastic. Well, I very much hope um, for the music industry and for you and just music lovers in general that that goes ahead and everything just picks up in general because, of course, it's been a horrendous time. But um, everybody, yeah, yeah, you must oh, be I'm so. Always, go on. I'm always, uh, always shouting and swearing on Twitter, which is just at Carol Decker. But you know, <laughs> you might not want that. <laughs> I might have a look but at yeah, that after. Yeah, no, like the same to you, Alice. You know, uh, love and luck to everybody. It's been hard for everybody. And I think the mental health aspect of it, no matter who you, you know, you're even hearing from people who would appear to have everything saying, this is really getting to me now. So I think the mental health aspect of it, we need to see an end to it, is really getting to people. So I wish everybody the very best as we all try and climb out of this, you know. Mm, yeah absolutely um with you there 100 percent, and i very much hope to see on your twitter you know some um furious red rhine rants easy for me to say or just news that you're going to perform soon either or <laughs> yeah you will don't worry about that <laughs> okay lovely um thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast it's been such a pleasure to talk to you um i hope you have a wonderful week thank you you too oh you're so welcome bye then bye, bye. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.